We are going into our, our Killing You Softly uh, series, talking about the seven deadly sins, and uh, today we get to talk about one of my favorite, which is wrath. And um, I tell you, I really did not want to preach this sermon, so <laughs> I, really, I try, two different people, I ask them, hey, would you like to preach? And no one's like, no, I don't want to touch that. So I get to, um, so we're going to have fun today. Um, our memory verse is uh, Proverbs twenty nine twenty two, and it says, An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Isn't that true? It's, it's, a, it's a proverb that we all say, well, that makes sense, right? But it's one that we all need in the midst of the heat of life, right? And you're not going to have that proverb to help you out in the heat of life if you don't have it tattooed on your heart. That's why we're memorizing it. So what I encourage you to do is in your memory, in your, in your bulletins, there's a memory verse card, and we gave you just a real brief. We only said it three times, so that's not nearly enough. You're going to have to spend some time with this one and really think about in your own life, uh, are you an angry person? Right? And when are you an angry person? What kind of conflict does that raise? Right? How can that help? Hot-tempered. I will tell you when I am hot-tempered is when I am driving down the canyon and there was somebody going five miles an hour under the speed limit. That's, that, for me, is when I can commit many sins, right? And it's helpful for me when I started studying this, how powerful this word was for me in the midst of when I was going into a place of rage where God said, no, here is his word, and it began to turn the path for me. I'm telling you, this is a powerful verse, so memorize it, and we're going to talk about it today. So, uh, wrath. Wrath. We live in an era of outrage, don't we? It's like every time you turn on the, the, the news or you go online or whatever, there's people talking about they're, they're outraged by this and they're outraged. And you think about outrage, it's just rage that comes out, right? It's just like, here's my rage, and it's like, blah, that's wrath, right? We live in an era of wrath. In fact, we celebrate it. We're supposed to be outraged by all kinds of things. So outrage is wrath. And all wrath is really is just anger and action. If we, if we think about it that way, understand that when we talk about wrath, it's just taking that anger and then putting action to it. And we live in an angry society. We live in an angry world. And oftentimes we become angry people, but hot-tempered people stirs up conflict. Right? We commit many sins. Today we're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about really where it's there and how Christ addresses it in, in our life. There's a cure for, for being ruled by anger in our life, and Christ brings it. But first thing is talk about anger itself. Anger, it, it can be dangerous. It's like fire. It's itself not bad. I mean, anger is not sin per se, right? God is a, can be angry. In fact, God is angry oftentimes with the bad things that happen. I'm glad that he is. I can't imagine a God that would just have a laissez-faire attitude towards all of the suffering and the wickedness in this world. That he could see how badly people treat one another and not to be upset by that. I'm glad that we have a God who gets mad at, at our brokenness and sin and the, and the depraved things that people do. So anger's not sin by itself, just like fire isn't destruction by itself, but it's dangerous. And we have to be very careful how we treat with anger, yet we speak of right, righteous anger a lot. And, and that drives people, in, in, with righteous anger, drives people to correct many wrongs in this world. Think about anger does. It's a very powerful emotion. It causes us to overcome, really, our, our own self-consciousness oftentimes, or our, own, our, uh, the, our lack of confidence. Sometimes it allows us to get out and to go outside of our comfort zone. Anger allows us to do those things so we can actually impact some kind of good change in this world. Anger is a powerful thing. I mean, even Jesus, he displayed anger. There were several times he displayed anger, right? When he was uh, confronted with unrighteousness, right? But think about when he walked into the temple. This is like the classic time where he walks in the temple and, and people are, are using something that was supposed to draw people closer to God and they were using it to, as a money-making scheme to rip people off. I mean, it, it made him mad. They said, this is not the way it's supposed to work. Now think how Jesus addressed the, the Pharisees. Right? When they, they used religion as, as, a, as a battering ram and a club you know, to just destroy people's lives and to, and to humiliate other people and to make them you know, uh, serve their wishes. I mean, they, 
Jesus was, was pretty direct. I mean, his anger was, was certainly not just uh, uh, hidden or veiled for them. I mean, he, said, he called them things like a brood of vipers. You've got to be pretty mad at somebody, right? I mean, he's, he's straight up. He would tell them how wicked. Jesus, there was times in his anger, there was a, there was a man who had a, a, a crippled hand, and, and those people who, who wanted to, uh, to thwart Jesus, they said, well, here's this guy with a crippled hand, and we know Jesus is a man of compassion. We know he can do miracles. So we're going to bring that man to Jesus on the Sabbath and see if he heals the man on the Sabbath, because if he heals him on the Sabbath, then he broke our Sabbath laws. Jesus was so upset by that. He said he was such filled with such rage that he called the man up there. He healed his hand, right? And he says, what's wrong with the rest of you? That you would do this. He called out. Their anger can be used for, for good things. And even Christ used anger well. The anger is our natural response in this world to, to knowing that the world is just not as it ought to be. Right? It's our response to that. When... When somebody does something horrible to you, hurts you in a bad way, it's, it's natural and it's right for you to get upset, isn't it? There's something wrong with us if somebody kicks sand in your eye and you're like, it's okay, right? It's not okay. When the world is broken and you suffer things in this life that aren't the way that it's supposed to be, there's something inside of us that knows that this is not the way it should be. When we see injustice, it should cause a turmoil in our spirit, and so anger itself is not bad. It's just, it's, it's just powerful. And unfortunately, oftentimes we let anger run amok in our lives. We don't use it for what it is good for. And we just let it burn. And it burns our lives down. If you have a Bible, I want you to see a passage in Scripture where we talk about anger. This is a difficult one to read. Uh, it's Psalm uh, 137, and it's a sincere cry for a people who suffered great wrong. In fact, it's one of those passages that critics of the Bible often point to to talk about how evil and bad Scripture is, but I think that it's just it deals with real life. See, in Psalm, before Psalm 131.7 uh, was written, the people of, of Israel, they were attacked around 586, by the Assyrians. And then by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians took them and, and brought them up into a captivity and uh, burned down their temple and destroyed their life and humiliated what they consider their God. And they taunted them. And this was the cry of a people in the midst of captivity And it says this, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There in the populars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us to sing songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while we are in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem... May my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of, roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did to us on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down, tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Boom. That's a hard verse. But have you ever felt that way? You have your home destroyed. You have people killing your family. There is something inside of us. There is a rage that is there, and it is honest, and it says, this is not right. And the psalm cries out from the very depths of pain in the heart that says, God, this is not right, and we demand justice. The psalm was not criticized. The song was sung as a, as a point of hope for the people in the midst of despair. It was anger. It was anger because they had suffered a great wrong. 
There was great pain, and you can read it in there. A longing for home, a longing for revenge, a vengeance. And none of those things in and of themselves are wrong. It's what we do with them. It's, it's how we, we live in the midst of that. So the fact of the matter is, is that we're all going to face anger. Right? Because we all suffer pain. We all suffer loss. We all suffer. We all suffer injustice in this world. This world is unjust because we're in charge. And because of that, we're all going to be angry. When we talk about wrath, the sin of wrath is not that you're angry. The wrath is anger in action. It's where we spend that anger. I think it's important what we, we, we see when the anger has this ability to destroy us in our lives. Misdirected anger can lead us to resentment, can it? It can lead us to depression. It can lead people to violence. That's why it says a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Think about some of the best decisions you made in life. Most of them probably weren't when you're angry. You see, anger itself, it, it can ferment into bitterness and unwillingness to take responsibility for our own parts in, in the problem, right? It can, it can create in us a stubbornness that just wants to see the other person suffer. We, we stop wanting justice and we just want revenge. Misdirected anger, wrath, comes from a misdirected belief, actually, of who's in charge, doesn't it? And if we go back to all the, the, the seven deadly sins, right? The first one we talked about is pride. Wrath, I think it comes from this point of us saying, it's about me. I somehow deserve to have everything go right for me. And if you cross me, then you deserve my wrath. And it's just. The problem is with this, we, we you know, talk about, well, if, I, if, you, if you wrong me, if we say an eye for an eye, here's the thing, your eyes will never be as valuable to me as mine are. Right? So if you poke out my eye and I lose sight in one eye, right, that's going to be a harder loss for me. <laughs> right? So I might poke out both of your eyes because both your eyes still are not as valuable to me as one of my eyes is, right? There's no way for me to create justice. But if I poke out both of your eyes, well, now you're going to be really mad, right? Where does justice stop? What happens is when we give fuel to this type of anger and we say, I'm the one that deserves, it's about me and I'm going to create this justice in my life. You cause me to hurt, I'm going to cause you to hurt. There's no way for me to ever create the same a level amount of hurt. <laughs> and what happens is that we have feuds, and we can look about it in all kinds of places in our life. Look at the world. I mean, look at the Middle East. But oftentimes we can look in our own homes and our own families. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Well, that hurt me more than I hurt you, so I'm going to hurt you back, right? And then it's more than I thought that I was hurt. And so when we hurt each other over and over and over again, and things escalate, and our world falls apart. In James uh, chapter 1, we have an interesting thing to read here. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. We have to understand that with anger, it's not inherently bad, but we have to be very cautious with it. Quick to listen, that's the one thing we should be quick to. How often have you ever been upset with somebody and then you found out it was a misunderstanding or you were hearing them wrong? Or have you ever taken somebody in an argument and they said something and you knew that you could twist what they said just in such a way to hold it against them even though that's not what they meant? Quick to listen. We're trying for understanding. That's what we should be quick for. Slow to speak. We didn't understand first before we retaliate. There's something in Scripture that talks about we can be angry, but we need to handle it well. And the first thing I need to do is make sure our anger is even justified. If you're just looking to be offended, you will be offended in life. You won't have to look very far, and you can create offenses just about anywhere you go. Don't do it. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. It's really hard to walk the life that Christ wants us to if we're always being offended by everybody and upset with everybody, isn't it? First, listen. 
Wrath is expressed in all kinds of ways in our life when we're slow to listen, right? Road rage, that's me, right? And I have to really watch that. I have to be patient, quick to listen, right? Well, it's hard to listen to the guy in front of you, but it's good to listen to, to good counsel from Christ. Pushing the guy with my bumper is not going to make him go any faster, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's just not. And yelling at him in my car is not solving anything. It's just making things like a crazy man behind him. Right? There's something, there's a better way of, of handling things. But it also adds to arguments. Right? We get upset with one another. We don't listen. We talk over one another. There's no resolution happening there. We have feuds that begin between families and family members and, and churches. Right? How many churches have split over the craziest of things? I went to a church in Missouri that literally split over a coat hanger. That was the no-peg church that uh, we went to, and then there was the, actually went to the peg church. The no-peg church was across the street. It had nobody left in it. And both dying churches were growing churches at one point, and the pastor would always come early, and he would come early and set up the church and all that kind of stuff, and one of the deacons decided, I'm going to put a peg here on the entryway for the pastor to put his coat and his hat. It was just a nice thing to do. And somebody got offended by that, and the church eventually split over that. It becomes feuds when we get angry. How many families have been destroyed over the smallest and the silliest of things? See, wrath results in damaged relationships and isolation and regret and bitterness and frustration. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. It's just the way that it is. I don't think we have to really, I don't have to argue this too, too harshly. I don't have to be a great lawyer for this to say, wrath can be dangerous, right? I think we all get that. Look in your own life. And say, has your wrath, has it really turned out to be for your benefit? <laughs> have you made your best decisions while just furious and full of rage? Is that the way that we want to live? You know, fortunately, there's a better way. And it's not just about going online and venting, right? Jesus gives us a better way, and he shows it to us. Jesus actually cures anger in us with something that just suddenly you wouldn't see coming, with patience. How does he do that? Well, the first thing is that our God is is a God that is slow to anger. Exodus 34, God reveals himself to Moses in this way. He says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's how God reveals himself. That's when he introduces himself to Moses. Who are you? Right? This is who he is. God said, if you want to know me, one of the things you need to know about me is that I'm slow to anger. Now he goes on and he says he rewards the righteous for for 10,000 generations, although he will bring judgment to those that are wicked. Now up to three generations even. He doesn't just let things pass. But our Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. It's part of who he is. And God didn't just reveal himself in that way once. There was Exodus 34 and Nehemiah 9 and Numbers 14 and Psalm 86 and Psalm uh, 80 and also Joel 2. Over, throughout scripture, over and over and over again, God is revealed as this is his character. This is who he is. And aren't we grateful? Can you imagine if our God was a hothead? Like Adam and Eve, they're going to the garden. They take that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. God walks down, what did you do? Boom, everything's dead. Right? And he'd be like, well, maybe I overreacted. Aren't we grateful our God is not that way? We've got a powerful God. What I want you to do is turn to, uh, in your Bibles, to 2 Peter 3.9. And... Uh, I love Peter. Peter also dealt with this, didn't he? I mean, Peter kind of had some, some issues where he dealt with anger, and yet we see in his life, as he walked with the Lord, by the time he writes this near the end of his life, how God has changed him and changed his perspective. And, and in Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 9, we read, uh, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. 
Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. See, God's patience is the only thing standing between you and his wrath. Do you understand that? I mean, it is the only reason that God has not destroyed us. It's not because you're such an awesome person. And it's not because he's not righteous. He couldn't just have the right to destroy us. I mean, he really does have the right to destroy us. The reason God hasn't destroyed us, and the reason he hasn't destroyed that person down the street that drives you nuts, or that horrible co-worker, right? Or that person in front of you in, in the car that's driving ridiculously slow. The reason that he doesn't just strike them dead is because our God is patient. There's something about God's patience that, that works in this. He's, he's doing something. The reason that God is patient is not that he's just like, oh, I don't care. No, it says, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's patience is rooted in his love. The reason that there is wickedness in this world and God hasn't just destroyed it. We talk about things as far as destruction and and pain that we're finding in the Middle East, right? Uh, Refugees being treated horribly, horrible dictators that we're finding in North Korea. Why is God allowing such a horrible person to exist as Kim Jong-un, right? And have people tell him, you need to worship me and all the pain that he suffers for all the types of corporate Greed and the stuff that's hurting people, right? As far as people abusing laws and all that kind of stuff in our own country and around the world. Why is God not stepping in? Why is God not just bringing his justice? You ever ask that? It's because if he brought justice, we would all die. And he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so it is in his patience that he is bringing about a change. He's bringing an opportunity for people to change. That is why we exist. It's important for us to realize because oftentimes when we feel wrong, we're like, God, cast your lightning down on them right now. That God is being patient. But he's not slow as some of us feel like he is. He's not slow to keeping his promise. There is a time frame to things. This is a patience has an end. But right now, in the midst of God's patience, we have an opportunity to turn to Him. And I'm grateful for that. Verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Right? His patience will end. We don't have forever. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything uh, done in it will be laid bare. I only understand that There is a time coming, and this is what allows us to have patience. You can't wait forever for something. If there's no hope that will ever happen, you lose hope, right? And then you stop waiting. The reason that we have patience is because we can trust that God's timing is coming to fruition. There's a purpose in his waiting, but there's also an end to the waiting. The The enemy, the devil, all the wicked people, there's a time coming where justice will happen. It will happen. And that day is approaching. Every single day that we wake up, it's a day closer. I don't know when it will come because it says it will be like a thief. We're not going to expect it. In fact, those of us who are in Christ are supposed to expect it at any moment. But the reality is right now God is being patient and we know that his patience will end. There's an urgency to this. But it also, I think, that it also gives us a, a peace. Aren't you glad to know that wickedness will not go unpunished forever? Justice is coming. In verse 11, he goes on, since everything will be destroyed in this way, and notice that, everything will be destroyed. Everything that has been done wrong, every little bit of corruption, right? every little bit of abuse, right? every, every bit of, of, of the, the destruction of the people due to one another, all of it will be judged. It will be judged and completely obliterated. Since we know that, what kind of people ought you be? That's a great question. I think that's the question of the day, isn't it? Since we know that justice is coming, that God is going to bring about his retribution in this world, how are we supposed to live? Well, he answers it for us. You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day and speed its coming, 
We understand that there is something in us that we, we are hopeful for Christ's return. Even though his justice, his judgment would be our own destruction, thanks be to Christ, it's not. Jesus took the wrath of God on my behalf, on your behalf, on anyone who would turn to him, on their behalf. So when Christ returns, it is not for our terror. But he's finally going to put an end to the brokenness. Knowing that God will, will judge all things, how should we live? When I was in high school, I got a job at the, there's a Carmel place downtown. It was by the big movie theater, that white, the mall there was right in the front. Um, it burned down, unfortunately. But I learned how to make caramel corn there. It was nice. And uh, I had a boss who was a, just a crabby old guy, right? Just as cantankerous as you can imagine. And you would think, you're selling caramel corn to people. You would think you would have a happy life, right? That's <laughs> what you're doing. But I got a job there because, you know, it was good. And so I learned to make caramel corn and all that kind of stuff. And, and every day when I got to work, right, he'd be there and be like, all right, you're going to pop that popcorn and blah, 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 right? And I was like, fine. And so I'd pop the popcorn and then we would do, make the little sauce on it and I'd toss things up and all those types of things. And I would run the cash register and do all of those things, right? And then you know, he would leave me in charge. And then he would go out and he would go walk around the back area behind that. Uh, now it looks a lot nicer than it did when I was in high school. But he would go walk around there and he would smoke his cigars, right, and, and rant. And he would walk around. And then he would come back every day about 1130, right? It was like clockwork. And I knew that if he came back and I didn't have the corn popped and I didn't have the counters cleaned and I wasn't serving customers, then things were going to be very bad for me. Right? Because his return was guaranteed. He wanted to see the money in the cash register. He wanted to see the corn popped. He wanted, right? There was consequence if I didn't do these things. Now, when he was gone, he didn't see what I was doing. I could be eating all the popcorn all I wanted. Right? But I knew that he was coming back. And I knew that he kept very good numbers as to how many bags of popcorn he should get out of each scoop of the kernels that we popped, right? There was an accounting coming. And because I knew he was coming back, what kind of employee ought I be? I had several employees that worked with me who weren't very good employees. And they didn't last very long. You see, there's, judgment was coming. And so I knew it was going to happen, so I decided to be a good employee. While he was away, I would be busy. I would pop the corn. I would put the caramel into it, right? When the customers came in, I would serve them and I would sell their stuff, right? And then I would put the money in the drawer just like he liked. When he came back, he would find his business the way he wanted. And that cantankerous, grumpy old man eventually began to like me. We have a God who left us in charge. He says, I'm coming back. He gave us work to do. And our work is not to distribute his wrath. That's why Christians, we don't call up swords. That's why we're not going around the world and just killing people because they're infidels. He gave us different work to do, and we had better be about that work because he is coming back. We understand that. Knowing that his return is imminent, he will come back. It is an absolute thing. How should we live? There is an accounting coming. And it says that we should live holy lives. Holy is set apart. I don't work for this world anymore. I have a different employer. I have a boss. I have a different purpose. Holy, I am set apart and peaceful. I think that's an interesting one. God calls us not to live for this world anymore, but since we're here, He calls us to help bring this world closer to repentance in Christ. That's why He's being patient. That's why it says we should speed this day's coming. We look forward to it. Christ is returning. And so in keeping with this promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven, a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's why in this world when things are broken, it doesn't just destroy our faith. All right? We're not just uh, every time we see bad things happen, we're like, oh God, you're not in control. We're like, that's the point. <laughs> He's giving us our shot. He's coming back and things will come back into his control. When Christians suffer, you suffer for your faith. We don't lose faith. I'm like, oh, our God is weak. No, our God is very strong. And he says he will make this right, and he will reward us for our suffering. 
When we see brokenness and we see corruption and all those things, we don't lose heart because we know that the kingdom of God is on its way. Right? Isn't there hope to that? And so we don't lose heart by the way that the world is acting now. In fact, we're not surprised the world is broken. We broke it. But we look forward to Christ's return. He's going to fix it. He will fix it. He is coming. That's the hope. And so we can do our work in this patience of God. It's a different way of being. And so verse 14, it says, So dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. That's what we're to be spending our time with. We're going to be working with God for his good, right? Our effort should be sent on, look what it says, every effort to be found spotless. That's part of this whole thing. We know that we messed up the world. We've got to stop doing our part in messing up the world. We've got to start doing our part in, in following Christ and his wife, saying he knows what's best. We're not being found spotless so that way we won't be judged at the end. Christ took our judgment. But we've been called to something better than that. That's why Paul says, you know, should we keep on sinning so that grace can abound? You know, the more that you sin, the more God can forgive. And so the more, you know, he receives, and there's more grace there. And so that's good for him. And he's like, no. How on earth could you possibly continue living in that dead way of life now that you've received the life of Christ? Make every effort to be found spotless. Follow Christ. Obey him. That should be our effort. We should be saying, I don't know what's best. God knows what's best, and I'm going to follow him. Even when I don't understand it, right? Even when I don't totally agree with what God says is best. That's kind of the point, right? Because he knows better than me. Make every effort. Spotless, blameless. Don't be causing unnecessary conflicts. Don't give other people reason to unnecessarily to, cause, to find problem with you and your faith in your God. Don't cause unnecessary feuds between people and God because of how you live. Be blameless. Serve other people. I think it's important for us to understand this, that we know what's coming next, and so we can live with peace with God. We have to end the war between ourselves. And I'll tell you that this was a hard thing for me to do because when my life started to go down a path, I didn't want it to go. And things were happening in my life that I didn't appreciate. And I knew God's sovereignty and power could end those things and yet he still allowed me to suffer. I was mad at God. I was really, really mad for a long time. And I had to deal with that. But I had to start living at peace with God. I recognize that it's not about this world and if God's allowing me to go through something, he's got bigger purposes in it. I can trust his promises. I had to start believing that, that God's not just good because my life is good, but God is simply just good. And when I started to trust that God was just good, then I could stop fighting this stupid war between me and God saying, you're not just because you allow bad people to prosper right now and you allowed good people to suffer. No, people allow good people to suffer. People allow bad people to prosper. God is just being patient with us. But there's a time coming when justice is coming. So we need to end the war between ourselves and God and just trust who he is and say, you know what, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to trust your will and your sovereignty and I'm going to be your servant. There's a power to this and the reason that we can do it is because we know that justice day is coming. Ephesians 4 says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on you where you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. There is something in us in our lives that we have to start surrendering our anger to God. We have to say this world is wrong. That's why Jesus died. He paid the penalty of sin. He took the wrath of God that we deserved because this world is broken. When I gave myself to Christ. When I was baptized, it says I identify with Christ in my death, and now I have a new life in Christ. I died to myself, and now I live in Christ. What this means is that I no longer live for what I think Aaron deserves. It's not about my kingdom anymore. It's about Christ's kingdom. And if Aaron has got to suffer in this world in order to help build Christ's kingdom, then I'm willing to do that. 
Because Christ was willing to suffer in this world so that I could be given a new life. There is a difference to it. It means that I can be angry in this world. I can say this world is wrong and that anger, like they felt about in the Psalms, is real. And when people do bad things, I'll tell you, you want to talk about some insurance companies, a couple of those, and every time you just bring up their names, it's just like rage. But I know that there's no insurance companies in heaven. Right? I know justice is coming, and those who did those awful things, they will not get away from it. And I don't have to be the one that brings down the wrath, which is great because I don't have the power to hurt them. Right? But my God saw all, and he will bring justice. And because of that, I can hand that anger to him. I can handle the anger of, of people who have hurt me in the past who never said they're sorry. I can handle the anger of, of things that happened in my life that were circumstances that I didn't deserve and yet happened anyway. I can hand him that anger because my God is coming back and he's making all things right. I can hand him my anger. And by handing him anger, don't, don't sin can you imagine if I just allowed rage from what we suffered from different insurance companies where people did or all that kind of stuff and it just made me really mad? I might be one of those crazy people like hold up my house buying guns and stuff. That would be stupid. We don't live that way. We hand it to God and we don't sin. We don't allow our anger to result in wrath. Don't let the sun go down on you while you're still angry. It doesn't mean that you, all the offenses that you just resolved all the conflicts. That's impossible. It means that before I go to bed at night, if I can make peace, I do. And if I can't, before I go to bed at night, I make sure that I'm not just nursing a wound. That I say to God, you know what, this was wrong and I'm still upset about it. And I I don't see your peace in this yet. I don't see your justice in this. You have to help me. right? And I hand my anger over to him so that it doesn't come out in wrath. Of course, that does mean that I make peace or resolve things whenever possible. If there's a brother or the sister in the church that I've got an issue with, I've got to go actually and talk with them, right? Resolve to the best of my ability. If I'm upset with my son or my wife or someone in my home, I need to, to the best of our ability, create peace. But for those areas in life that are beyond our ability to create peace, for the things that are too big or the things that I cannot resolve, I still hand them over to God every night so I'm not nursing this, so it doesn't build into a root of bitterness, so I don't become a wrathful and angry person. That's how we don't give the devil a foothold. It's amazing how some Christians allow the devil to do such horrible things in our lives, right? And we think, how did this destruction happen? Well, it began when we started playing God. It goes on and says, Do not take revenge, dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Isn't there peace in that? God's got bigger fists than you do. Right? And he's got a much further reach. We don't have to seek justice because God is a God of justice. He will give it to us. In fact, he gives us so much more than justice. He gave us mercy. But God will repay Since we know that it says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Isn't that great? This is the whole secret of what says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how we are called to live. We allow God to handle wrath. We can do something crazy. We surrender our anger to God and he gives us a different way of, of living. You know, when we surrender our anger to God, we actually give him the right of vengeance. Right? When we say, God, I'm no longer going to be the one, I'm not holding this offense anymore, I'm handing it to you, so I'm not the one that has to receive vengeance on this. God says, okay, fine, I will be the one who enacts vengeance here. And he will. And I think that's a great thing. And since I don't have to enact vengeance on my behalf or on anybody else's anymore, then I can act in a different way. I can be about the work that God has called us to. He is patient for a reason. He wants all people to come to repentance. See, God's not going to speak anything under the rub. He's not going to allow some people, he's going to play favorites and like, well, they wronged you and I'm just going to ignore that. No, if you were wrong, God carries for it. He cares about it, but you have to hand it to him so he can seek the vengeance. If you're holding on to your anger, you're not allowing God to, to seek vengeance on your half. But he says it is his to repay. And he'll do it. 
But we don't overcome then this because we hand our anger to God and our right of wrath to God. We can do something amazing. We can actually begin obeying him. And he says this, love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Why can we turn the other cheek? Is it because we're weak? No, because we know that our God is strong. And he will reward us for our faithfulness, but also he will enact vengeance. He will not allow those who continue to, to, uh, to insult God, who hurt his people, he's not going to allow that to go unpunished forever. So go ahead and swipe at me. You're only bigging up a bigger bill, right? Between our, you and your God, right? You're only making it worse for yourself. So come at me. What I can do is I can trust in God's vengeance, And because I hand the vengeance to him, then I can do crazy things and I can actually start loving people who need it desperately. Because our world is a world of outrage and everybody's got these defenses up and they're ready just to fight. But I tell you, no one can fight God. No one can stand toe-to-toe with him and survive. They have no idea who they're standing against. Neither did I. And then somebody loved me enough to not give me the justice that I deserved. But they told me about the grace of Christ. And so, because they loved me, it took down my defenses. Because they didn't just attack me when I deserved it, but they forgave me when I didn't deserve it. It made me wonder, what on earth are you doing? It allowed me to be open to understand that our God is a God who was willing to forgive. Willing to take the full force of his own vengeance so that we don't have to. We can be those agents of change. We can end strife. We can end all of these, these feuds. We can forgive. We can choose not to retaliate, not because we are weak, but because our God is very strong. And if, if they should choose to repent, then we'll celebrate that another has come into the kingdom. And if they should choose not to, we can celebrate because our God will bring justice. In either case, we don't have to be people of vengeance. See, when we forgive... Forgiveness enables us to do something amazing. It enables us to go beyond our, our, our perceived wrongs and allows us to proactively work towards real justice in this world. It is really hard to go and try to, to change what's wrong in this world only out of anger by going and just fighting and out of destruction. There are a lot of very real wrongs in this world. And how we change this world is not just by being angry at them, but by taking that anger, handing the vengeance portion to God, but keeping that anger and propelling us into righteous action. That's why Christians will stand up and we will feed those who nobody else will. That's why we'll start hospitals for people who nobody else will serve. That's why we're going to go into countries and care for people that nobody else will. That's what allows us to begin to be the change we need to be. We can keep the power, the fire of anger, but we can hand off the destruction of wrath. We can be proactive agents of God's kingdom on this earth. So people do bad things. Look what it says in Psalm 37. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't fret when people succeed in their evil ways, right? When they carry out their wicked schemes, right? How practical is that? We get so surprised that bad people do bad things. Duh! Right, we get so rocked when bad people in their bad schemes seem to succeed for a little while. We're like, God, are you not looking at this? He said, don't get rocked by that. Expect it. Right? It's not a surprise bad people do bad things, that people do sinful things. It's how we respond that matters. It really is. It says, don't fret. It only leads to evil. So when we see the bad things in this world, we're just like, ah, right? Then we do evil things. We, we act in sin and we act in rage and we act in wrath and we can't carry the full brunt of wrath that is necessary to change this world. It acts, when we fret, at least evil things. But for those who are evil, they'll be destroyed. But to those who hope in the Lord, they will inherit the land. We need to remember this is absolutely true. And so we don't have to fret. When bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. That's the way that the humans have created this world to work. But our God is going to set it right. We know that. We're part of his kingdom. We can trust in him and our hope is in that. And so we can begin living a different kind of life. A life of love. A life of forgiveness. A life of grace. Because that is what we've received. So, when we talk about wrath, we have to understand that wrath is anger expressed. 
Anger's not wrong. It's what we do with it. If you're taking your anger and you're just blowing up all over people, that's a dangerous way to live. You're going to burn down your life and you're going to torch a lot of people around you. You're going to bring a lot of unnecessary destruction in this world. In fact, you are part of the problem. And so am I, right? We understand that we are not to be called a people of wrath. We are people who were saved from wrath. Wrath is anger expressed. So we need to recognize our anger and turn it over to God. The second thing is that wrath is rooted in pride and it results in sin. Wrath really begins with saying, well, you offended me. I'm the one it's all about, so therefore I have the right to come against you. When we died to ourselves in Christ, when we were baptized into him, right, we lost that right. Now we live for Christ. It is his to repay. And this is a good thing because our wrath really only results in sin. We only hurt other people. We also see that God's patience gives room for grace. The reason bad things are still happening in this world is because God is being patient with us. He's allowing this world to continue to cycle the way that it is because he cares for the people that are in the midst of it. For you and for me, those who are deserving of his wrath, those that are doing the bad things, God has not destroying us because he loves us. He wants all to come to repentance. And if God is willing to withhold his wrath, how much more should we? And if God is willing to withhold his wrath for the purpose of repentance and for helping people to come to to him in kindness and grace, how much more should we? We live in an era of grace. We see this, that God's patience is not going to last forever. This is one, a warning, but it's also a great peace for us, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful to know that justice is coming? There is a time coming where the kingdom of God will be here and all things will be made right. All these struggles will be ended. The world will be set back the way that it ought to be. But it also is a warning because there is a time coming where God's patience will end. There's a time coming where he's going to return and he's going to expect us to have done what he's asked us to do. So how we ought to live? Holy and righteous. Make every effort. So I think what we need to start with today is we need to begin giving our anger to God. Anger is not just going to go away. It burns, doesn't it? If you don't do something with it, it's just going to stand there. It's just going to keep burning inside of you. Eventually, it's going to get so built up that it's going to explode. (laughs) And it will cause all kinds of destruction. But we have a better way. And because we know it's safe to hand our anger to God and our wrath to God, this is what we need to do. Take those things, those wrongs that you have received, right? All of the, the difficult things that you have gone through, the ways that you are facing persecution, the way that you are facing just the the badness of this life, the ways that this world has ripped you off and continues to, the way that it hurts those that you love. You have to take that anger, that righteous anger, and hand the wrath to God. Give your anger to God, and as you give your anger to God, then ask him, instead of seeking wrath, God, in this, what is it you want me to do with this? What is it you want me to do Because the anger that he's given you might propel you to take some really awesome righteous action. It might propel you to do something that in and of yourself you might not have had the motivation to do on on alone, right? Give your anger to God. That's how we're supposed to live. So how do we apply this this week? I have some ideas, as I always do, because I care. So if you take out your connection card on the back side there, here's some good things to do. It says... On the back side of some commitments, I challenge you to make the first one is to memorize Proverbs 29.22. Know this. This is for all of us. We live in an era of outrage. We all need to remember daily, multiple times daily, how our anger can be destructive. <laughs> right? So use this passage. Let it be a help. I will tell you I've been applying this in my own life and it's been a real help already. I encourage you to do the same. How about this? Read Psalm 37. Right? Read what it talks about with when, when the world isn't right. It talks to you, how do you pour out your heart to God? He's not going to be offended like, oh, you're upset with this world and you want bad things to happen to bad people. He's not surprised. Read the psalm. Learn how to talk to God. How do you hand your anger to him? Maybe something else you need to do is you need to resolve or to reconcile. Maybe you're holding on to an offense, but you have been quick to speak but slow to listen. Maybe the challenge for you this week is to be quick to listen and slow to speak. 
Maybe it's to go and to seek reconciliation with somebody who in your mind right now doesn't even deserve it, just like you didn't deserve it with Christ. Maybe you begin, as the scripture tells us, to make every effort to live at peace with all people. Maybe this week is what you do is you take that anger and you cause it to propel you into righteous action, and so it causes you to seek reconciliation. Or maybe for you there's just no reconciliation to be had. Maybe the person that you would love to reconcile with, you continue to try, but they are not open to it. Or it's something that is beyond your control. It is an issue that is out there that just makes you angry. I will tell you, for me, one of it is when I see all of those refugees being kicked out of their homeland and having those kids separated from their parents, it just makes me so mad. Maybe what I need to do is, instead of asking for God's wrath, is I forgive but then I use, and I use that, and I wait for God's justice. But I also take that anger, and it propels me to some way to actually help. Maybe there are issues in your life, things that are just too big for you. Maybe this week you forgive. You begin to hand your wrath over to God, and you start to take that, that, that power of anger and to propel you into righteous action. Maybe that's what you do this week. Or maybe there's something else that you do. Holy Spirit's working on your heart. You know there's something you need to do. Let me know, because I love to pray for you and support you as your pastor. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted the forgiveness of Christ. I will tell you, I'm not kidding. I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher, but the scriptures talk about this. A day is coming where God will hold you to account for what you have done. All of us deserve it. The only difference between where I am and where you are now is that I've let Jesus face the wrath of God on my behalf. God is being patient because he's waiting for you. If you've never accepted his forgiveness, if you've never said, by faith, I'm going to trust that Jesus took that penalty for me. There's never a time that you believed in him, Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you've repented and turned your life over to him and said, I'm going to follow him. There was never a time that you confessed him and said, you know what, he is my Lord. There's never a time you were baptized in him. You've never been part of a church to grow in him. I tell you, this is the time. This is the era of grace. Don't let the day end without finding peace with God. If that's you, this is what I would like you to do. If, if what I'm saying is you have questions or curious, is all on this other side, I would like more information about starting a relationship with Jesus. If you let me know that, make sure I have your contact information, or you can just stay around after the service and we'll talk, but... I'll answer your question. I'm sure you've got lots of them. What does it mean to follow Jesus? How does this work? We'll help you take the steps of faith to become his child and to begin following him in righteousness. We'll surround you with support and love and you won't be in it alone. And the best thing is you'll be at peace with God. If you need to make that decision, make sure you don't let this, this moment pass without taking advantage of that.